to you. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand and to know the truth and then to do the truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you take your Bibles tonight and you turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We are um, doing a study on the will of God. And uh, there are several uh, lessons. I know I've got at least two more Wednesday nights of lessons, depending on how quickly we get through some of the material. And um, uh, But certainly things that are necessary. I, for years I had mentioned to folks that uh, I could not tell them what God's will for their life was. If they would ever ask me, I'd say, well, that's not for me. That's between you and the Lord. And, um, and, uh, but I found out and, and realized this in recent years that God does tell us what His will is in Scripture. In fact, in many places He does. And, uh, and we can glean from Scripture what God's will is. And, and I think we misuse the term, obviously. We've mentioned this before, that usually when we ask that question of someone, well, I don't know what God's will for my life is, what we really mean by that is, what does He have for me day by day? What's His plan? What's the race that He's set before me uh, day by day. And I understand what we mean by that, but it is possible not only to know God's will, but it's God's desire for us to know His will. And uh, once we know His will, then we will know better His plan for our lives within that will. And uh, there were four statements that I gave you, I think three or four I gave you over the last few weeks. They're kind of foundational statements. First of all, is God wants us to know His will as much as we want to know it. And He has chosen to reveal it to us in His Word. God wants us to know His will, and He's chosen to reveal it to us in His Word. He wants us to know it as much as we want to know it. The second thing was, His will is only going to be found in His Word by the teaching of it and by the Holy Spirit uh, validating it and giving illumination to it and understanding to it in Scripture. And uh, very important that we understand that when we talk of God's will, that is the only place we're going to find it. Uh, to know what His will is, and then we will understand better His plan. And try to keep those terms separate in your mind if you can, rather than making them interchangeable. Uh, His will will never contradict. Number three, His will will never contradict or be in conflict with either His Word or His character. His will will never be contradict or be in conflict with His Word or His character. And uh, the fourth one, I don't know if I gave you this or not, uh, I think because it was very similar to the first one, but God does not make His will difficult for us to understand. He's not... Uh, years ago, there was a... Uh, I think it was a, an insurance commercial or something. There was a guy wearing fishing waders, and he had a, a, a fishing pole with a dollar bill out there, and, oh, you almost got it. Oh, almost got it. That's And I think sometimes we get the mindset that God is that way with His will. He's not. God's not playing games with us. He's not trying to trick us. He's not trying to make it... Uh, amusing or difficult for us. His desire is for us to know His will. And so understand that He does not make it hard for us to know His will. If we're having a trouble understanding His will or knowing His will, it's not on God's side of things. It's on our side of it. Either we haven't read Scripture enough or we haven't uh, understood the Scripture enough. Uh, We've not asked for the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us as we've read the Scriptures. Uh, Because God's will is found throughout His Word. Even the Old Testament is a picture to us and helps us to understand God's heart, His character, His will in matters. Uh, there are so many things that 
uh, the, the ones we're going to be teaching on are ones that say this is the will of God, and specifically they're in black and white in Scripture. But truth be told, any time God gives us a command, that's His will. And so not everything that uh, we're going to teach on is going to... Uh, or we're, the only things we're going to teach on in, these, in this series are the ones that are very explicit. But understand that the Bible is chocked full of God's will. And to understand His will, we've got to know His Word. We've got to devour it. We've got to saturate I was talking with somebody this week that was going through some, some troubles in their life. And uh, as I always do, uh, the very first thing I do is say, how is your personal walk with the Lord doing? Uh, has it dried up? Have you kind of gotten away from it? And, and it seems like invariably uh, the problems in life seem to come or at least become burdensome to us when we start drifting from our personal walk with the Lord. And generally, that is the place we always want to start because if that's not right, nothing else will be right. I can give them all kinds of suggestions and, and wisdom about how to fix the problem, but if that part is not right, we're just beating the wind. Vitally important. And so knowing this book, knowing the will of God, walking after His will, are, uh, is, is something I think that ought to be the lifelong hunger and thirst of a Christian. Say, Lord, I want to know your will. <coughs> so Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to launch from tonight. <coughs> I'm going to give you a little more instruction about finding God's will, and then we're going to move to another one of the ones that we're going to be dealing with tonight. Lord willing, if we get that far. Ephesians chapter number 5. We're going to read several verses, so uh, bear with us. We're going to begin in verse number 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given Himself uh, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a sweet-smelling savor. We can stop there for a moment. And just in those two verses alone, we find a lot of God's will, don't we? It's His will for us to be followers of God as dear children. It's His will for us to walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. And so, again, I want, to, I want to point these things out as we go along to try to help you be able to pull these things from Scripture, to recognize them, to see them, and say, if God commanded us to do that, then that's got to be His will for us. Uh, so it certainly is His desire and what He belongs for. Verse number 3, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints. Uh, I'm not going to take and preach every verse, but I want to make a comment on this. One of the the things I love about the book of Job is found in chapter number 1 when God is talking to Satan, or the devil, and he's he's recommending to to the devil his his servant Job. He says he's he's an upright man. Uh, A man that is righteous, he's upright. And he uses this phrase, and one who escheweth evil. He hates it. He detests it. And when I read verse 3, I kind of get this idea that this is what Paul's trying to get across to us. He says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not, what? Once be named above. It ought to bother us so bad that we don't just say, Well, I, I do it every once in a while and God's just got to understand. No, no. It ought not to ever be a part of our life. It ought to be something that we hate so much that we work and labor and focus on the fact that I'm not going to allow these things into my life. Uh, we need to get to a mindset again in our society as a whole, and, and Christianity especially, of seeing sin the way it needs to be viewed. Uh, sin has become way less sinful in my lifetime than it used to be. 
And we need to see it again. We need to recognize again. We need to realize how it grieves God's heart. We need to recognize the damage that it does to us. And most importantly, we need to understand the damage that it does to the testimony of Christ. Uh, Sin is not something we piddle around with or play around with or flirt around with. And then on Sundays we say, well, yeah, we, amen, preacher, let's preach on that sin. Uh, No, it needs to be something we hate in our life. And when we do it, we find ourselves committing those sins. It needs to be something that breaks us. That we come to God with a broken spirit and a repentant heart and say, Lord, I need forgiveness of this so I can have that fellowship, that sweet fellowship with you again. Give me the strength not to do it ever again. And God's faithful. And He'll do that every time. But He says, But fornication, all uncleanness, or covetousness, let not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. It kind of rings a bell from last week, doesn't it? For this we know that no whoremonger, or nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with these vain, with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye, speaking here not of the children of disobedience, but those that have trusted Christ, he makes this contrast between verse 6 and 7, be not ye therefore partakers with them. There needs to be a separation there. If you ever need a verse that somebody says, well, no, I don't see where the Bible says we have to live a separated life. There it is. It's pretty plain. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. I want you to notice this phrase, because we're going to see it again a little bit later tonight, Lord willing, if we get that far in the notes. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Uh, The word prove, I I looked it up in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Uh, The word prove, when it's used in this context, is defined this way. It says, um, to be found or to have its qualities ascertained, notice this, by experience... Or trial. In other words, whatever God says and is spoken about in His Word, we're to prove those things by experience and trial. We're to do them. And as we do them, we give full proof of them. Not that, not that God needs proof, but oftentimes men need proof, don't they? And so we test these things. We try God at His Word, not because we doubt Him, but because men need to see that God is faithful. Um, And he says in verse number 11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth uh, make manifest is light. Wherefore, he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, and here's our phrase, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. 
So what is the will of the Lord in this case? The will of the Lord is that we have light and that we walk circumspectly. Verse 14, it says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Those that get the light of the Lord Jesus Christ have to follow two requirements. They have to wake up from their sleep, and they have to arise from the dead. The only way you and I can arise from the dead is by putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He quickens us. He makes us alive again. So it's imperative that a person be saved. You won't know the will of God and understand the will of God and comprehend the will of God outside of salvation. Uh, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And so the first requirement is that you wake from the dead. You have to, or that you uh, arise from the dead. You have to be saved. There has to be that life in you. We spoke Sunday about the, uh, the fact that God is our life. And He's the one that gives it to us. But he goes on to say this. He uses this phrase. He says, Awake thou that sleepest. And it is possible to be saved and to be asleep spiritually. To, to be, to be uh, unaware, to be uh, not, not, not seeing and not understanding, not consciously involved in. Um, for, for years when I was a youth pastor, I would tell young people, I would say, young people, quit playing church. Quit doing the outward things of church and, and making people think you're something outwardly. Give God every part of your heart. Give Him every fiber of your being. Give Him, the, give him that, that, that drive inside of you that longs and hungers and thirsts for you, for the Lord. And, and I said, give Him that. Uh, give God that 100%. And uh, this, this idea of uh, getting our, our salvation settled, and then we kind of sit back and, and we enjoy maybe preaching, we enjoy listening to the music, singing the songs, but the, the, the vibrancy, the fervency of the Christian life just isn't there. If we're going to get light... If we're going to continuously grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, let me put it this way. If we're going to be working at being perfect, that maturing work that we've taught and preached on so many times before, we must have the light of God being given to us daily. And the only ones that get that are those that are awake. If we're asleep spiritually, if we're just lethargic, if we sit back and really don't pursue after God and hunger and thirst after His Word, uh, we're not going to get a whole lot of light. And so he tells them that they need to wake uh, from this slumber. And then, uh, so God's will is here that, that, that we have the light of God. And uh, he tells them how to do this. He, he says, uh, Awake uh, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. And, and he talks a little bit about this, this concept of, of awakening and arising uh, in the next verse. And he says this, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And so he uses this end phrase of this verse, not as fools, but as wise, to make the the connection between walking circumspectly being a wise thing and not walking circumspectly being a fool. And and then he goes on to say, and understand that uh, the word circumspectly... Uh, is made up of two, uh, two sections of the word circum, which is used oftentimes uh, to mean around. Uh, you've got a circumference of a circle. Uh, uh, one fellow years ago circumnavigated the, the earth in a sailboat. 
uh, means to be around. And then, of course, spectacle is the same word we get our word spectacles from, and the idea of vision or looking around, being aware of what's going on around you, having your eyes open and understanding the signs of the times and what situation our world is in, and to walk circumspectly. And, and, and oftentimes when we define that word in the church, and I've done it many, many times, we put the focus on, uh, folks, we need to be aware of what's going on. We need to have our eyes open, and we need to see what's going on in the world. We need to understand uh, that this world is uh, whatever we think it to be in our protective cocoons that we live in spiritually, Whatever we think it to be, it is far worse than that outside of our cocoons. Uh, it has gone much further than we've even dreamed it would have gone. And being aware of that and understanding that is very important. And that's usually the focus when we teach on this verse is the circumspectly, the, the looking around, the watching. But I want you to notice something that this verse says that I think oftentimes goes unemphasized and untaught. He says, See then that ye... What's the next word? Walk. So it's more than just being aware of. It's more than just seeing the world for its condition. He's saying, when you see that, you need to let your walk be in response to a wicked world. The things that you are doing outwardly ought to reflect, as a Christian, the salt and the light that you are supposed to be in a dark world. I think sometimes we, we do pretty well I think, or at least moderately well, with being circumspect. But how often do we say, now that I've seen this, and I'm aware of this, I'm going to walk in such a way that I can be light. Why? Because that's God's will. So, he, he's, he's chosen to give light to those that are awake and not sleeping. To those that are alive and not dead. Those are the only ones that can get it. They're supposed to get the light of the Lord. They're supposed to be circumspect and be aware of those things around them. And having the light and having the awareness of what's going on, they're to walk accordingly. And this is the will of God. That we are walking not as fools, but as wise. So how do we do this walk? He does give us at least one thing here. He looks down verse number 16. He says, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. If we're going to walk circumspectly, that means we're going to make every minute count. How long is this life? Not very long. The Bible calls it what? A vapor, doesn't it? It appears for a little while and gone. Most of us in this room have gray hair. The rest of us color it. Most all of us could give testimony to the fact our life has been short. It's amazing when we're young and in the vigor of youth, we have the energy and the wherewithal to make a mighty, mighty difference for the Lord. We don't have the maturity. We don't have the conviction that we have when we're older. I think the secret to the Christian life is you've got to make every moment count for the Lord. And, and, and the danger is this. 
as we get older, the temptation is to say, I'm tired. I've, I've run my race. There's not much more I can do for the Lord. No, there's an awful lot we can do for the Lord. We can redeem the time. We can walk circumspectly. And this is the will of God. He says, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise. What did we say the unwise person was? The one who did not walk circumspectly. Either they're neglecting the walk, or they're neglecting the circumspectly, or both. And those are the unwise. It says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Well, what's the alternative to the unwise? Understanding what the will of the Lord is. And that is to walk circumspectly. To walk circumspectly. Redeeming the time. Not just to be aware of the things in this world. I, I talk a lot with people. I was at a, at a fellow's business, place of business here yesterday. And uh, you ever bump into somebody and they, they grab your ear and won't let go? <laughs> they just keep talking. A fellow that was upset about some things politically. And he started ranting for, oh, probably a good eight or ten minutes. And uh, just talking bad, you know, all this stuff about uh, politics, and mostly local politics, not even really national, but national too. And just kept going on and on and on and on. And, and you know, I thought of that as I, as I left there. I thought, you know, so many people, they see what's happening, and they complain to everybody they see about it. But very few are willing to walk circumspectly. To walk in such a way that it makes a difference in the world they're living in. To walk with the light of the Lord Jesus Christ in a dark world. Let's not be like that fellow yesterday. Let's not just see it and complain about it. Let's walk according to what we see. And shed the light of God everywhere we go. Now, turn with me if you will to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And by the way, in verse number 17 of, of Ephesians 5, you don't have to turn back there, but it tells us that we're, to not, we're not to walk as foolish, but we're to, underst- we're to understand it. We're to walk in such a way that we have understanding what the will of the Lord is. And when we are circumspect and we've had the light of God given to us, we will fully understand God's will. It'll make sense to us. And every time we find it in Scripture, another one will pop out at us and we'll have that understanding, that light given to us. It's God's desire for us to understand His will. He wants us to. He's commanded us to. So vitally important. Let's look in uh, um, Romans 12, verse number 1. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove, there's that word again, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. There are some characteristics of God's will that we are to prove. We're to live them, we're to, by experience or by trial, make certain the fact that God's will is good and it's acceptable and it's perfect. 
And these are the characteristics of His will that we're to prove. We're to do His will, and we will see that His will is good, and it's acceptable, and it is perfect. But I want us to notice a couple things here, again, that I believe Paul has given to us that are part of God's will for our lives. So first of all, we talked in Ephesians chapter 5 about God giving us light and walking circumspectly and redeeming the time, being God's will. Now we're moving on to Romans chapter 12, and he gives us two things here regarding God's will. In verse 2 he says this, "...and be not conformed to this world, (coughs) but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind." Now if if we are living sacrifices to God, the implication here is that the renewing of our mind is being renewed not to the things of the world, but to the things of God. And so there's the contrast that's given here in verse number 2. And uh, I want us to notice a couple of things. Uh, the, co- the word conformed uh, in the Webster's 1828, uh, in used in this context, because a lot of times, in, and this was not the case on this particular word in the Webster's 1828, but it, if you don't have one of those, you ought to get one or at least download one online. I don't know that the online ones are fully, uh, they're probably not unabridged. They probably edited some, but... Uh, you ought to get you a good 1828 dictionary. Because oftentimes, in the dictionary, in the definitions, they will reference Scripture and say that in this context of Scripture, this is what that word means. Because the, the word can have sometimes several meanings in English. But when it gives you the context of the verse and the definition, you know that that's how that word is being used in that case. The word conform did not have that. It just has a very simple definition. And it's applicable apparently in every case of the word conform. And it means simply this. Made to resemble, reduced to a likeness of, made agreeable to, or suitable. Made suited to it. This idea of the outside being conformed, the the outward condition made to resemble it. And almost like uh, putting on a lot of makeup and and, uh, changing your hair color and things like that would affect the outward things, but it's not going to change who you are on the inside. (coughs) There's two things... (coughs) Excuse me. There's two things that I think are used by Satan specifically to conform people. When I was a little kid, years and years ago, uh, we made trips up and down the floor to Turnpike many, many times. And uh, when I was little, we'd stop at these um, uh, toll plazas, the plazas that they have. And Brother Rich, you guys know probably some of those on the turnpike there. That you pull off those little plazas in there. And I always loved going in there as a kid because they had, when I was a kid, they had these machines that you could go in and you could put a nickel in, I think, at the time. But probably, probably it was more like 50 cents or something. And it had these two big steel, you know, box-looking things that, that would come together with big hydraulic pistons. And they'd come together like that, and they would inject melted wax into them. And it would have a shape of some animal or something that Florida was known for. The one I remember getting years ago was a sailfish. And it came together, and it injected this wax in there. And it held it for a few minutes, and then it let it cool, and then it popped open, and then it dropped down, and you got to take that thing home. And... As I, as I studied about this passage a number of years ago, and I began to realize two things that the world does 
to get us to conform to it. Um, I thought of that. Because the world will do two things. First of all, it will always try to entice us. And by the way, it's never changed, which is amazing. Because you'll find this all the way back when the serpent tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. He began by enticing them. The Bible, the Bible tells us that he, he uh, said he told them to, to look at the, the tree and that you shall not surely die. And the Bible says that when she saw that the tree was good for food and what? Pleasant to the eye. She took it of the fruit and gave to her husband also with her, and he did it. Pleasant to the eye. Enticement. Enticement. And the world tries to glamorize sin. You don't have to go very far to realize that's the case. They try to make it look cool. They try to make it look, this is where the fun's at. They try to make it look like you don't have to be uh, under that old fuddy-duddy rule. You can get out here and just party and have a good time, and this is where joy and satisfaction of life comes from. No, no. They make it look good. But go ask the prodigal son about that. He went out and wasted his living on riotous living. He found himself in the pigsty one day. The Bible says that he hungered and he ate the, 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 the food that was meant for the pigs in the pigsty. You know one of the saddest statements of that whole story was when he realized where he was at. He made the statement, and no man cared for my soul. He'd had a lot of friends before. He'd had a lot of fun. I'm, I'm amazed at Moses' early life, raised in the home of Pharaoh, had everything given to him had wealth and affluence, and yet the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin, and here's the phrase, for a season. For a season. Satan tries to entice. The devil tries to entice. He's, he's infiltrated the worldly philosophy. He's caused the hearts of unsaved men to try to disguise and camouflage the sin to look good. If a Christian is strong enough to endure the enticement, then he moves on to the second one. And that is pressure. He tries to pressure us into it. I used to be a youth pastor for a number of years, and one of the big things that we tried to help young people with was young people take a stand against wrong peer pressure. In fact, I said, since peer pressure is so prevalent in your life and so prone to manipulate and cause you to do something... Why don't you have positive peer pressure and try to be the one that says uh, you need to follow the Lord and give peer pressure that way? But the truth is, uh, the devil's pretty smart. He's done the same two tactics, enticement and pressure, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Because think about that, when Eve was sitting there and she's looking at the tree, and the Bible says that when she saw the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes, she took of the fruit and gave to her husband also with her What are the next four words? And he did eat. You know, the Bible tells us that Eve was deceived, but Adam was not. Why did Adam take up? Because Eve did. It doesn't tell us that Adam took of it because he saw that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired for food. He took it because Eve gave it to him. He's put on the spot. Hey, come on. There it is, Adam, right there in front of you. I did it. Here it is. 
I don't know if any words were ever exchanged. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But just even the gesture of taking the bite of the fruit, whatever it was, and handing it, put Adam on the spot. I, I think Adam loved Eve like no man has ever loved a woman before. They had perfect love. And when he saw his wife do that, I think he was very strongly pressured. Satan has used those two tactics over the years. He's enticed some of God's people and caused them to fall. He's pressured some of God's people and caused them to say, I'm done. I'm out of here. Too hard. Too much. Paul, at the end of his ministry, said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. The will of God in Romans chapter 12 that is good, acceptable, and perfect is that we're not conformed to the world. We don't let the world entice us. We don't let the world pressure us. We do not begin to emulate them. Ministries that will get up and say, we've got to look like the world, we've got to act like the world, we've got to talk like the world, we've got to do the same things the world does in order to relate to them so we can share them. Christ has not read Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2. Let me rephrase it. They've not understood Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2. Because God's will is that we not be conformed to this world. But what are we supposed to do? He uses a different word here. But be ye what? Transformed. So I looked that one up in the Webster's 1828. Alright? This one is changed in form... Now, it uses this phrase, or external appearance, but it's not talking about the same outward condition as the other one because it talks about it being changed in form. And then it uses the word metamorphosed or transmuted or renewed. I like the word renewed personally. That which was new at one time, Satan destroyed it with sin, or I destroyed it because of my sinful nature with sin, and God has made it new again. I like that. I like that definition, don't you? I looked up some of these other ones because metamorphosed and and uh, and transmuted. Those are kind of words we don't use a whole lot. Transmuted means to change into another substance or nature. We're to be transformed. We're to be renewed. There's to be a new nature about us. You know, the word metamorphosis is often best illustrated in our high school science books with what illustration? Anybody remember? Back to your science days, what do they usually use? What, what animal do they use for that? Butterfly. He starts as a what? Caterpillar. Builds a cocoon. When he comes out, he's something completely different. Not just externally, but from the inside out. We're not to be conformed outwardly. We're not just to put on just a shell. That's what the Pharisees did. They were white as sepulchers. We're to be transformed. How do we do that? By the renewing of our minds. There are two things that will cause our our minds to be renewed. When we get saved, we trust Christ as our Savior. God gives us one of the most precious gifts you and I could ever, ever hope to have. And that is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Folks, I don't know if you realize how big a deal that is. 
we live oftentimes like it's no big deal at all. And oftentimes, we kind of just push Him in the back corner of our life and say, if I need you, I'll come find you. But having the very Holy Spirit of the Almighty God indwelling us personally is what an amazing gift that God has given to us. And He guides our steps. He helps us to have understanding. He helps us to grow in, in our knowledge of Scripture and to mature. And not only to know that the Holy Spirit is the catalyst that helps us to take it from the head and emblaze it upon the heart and cause it to pour out in our hands. Because the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, the Bible says. It's not our fruit, it's His that's working out through us. I used to think when I was a kid and I read that list, I'd be like, Lord, I'm going to try to have those in my life. And the problem was, I was trying to make those things happen in my life. And that's not what the Bible was saying there at all. It was trying to say that the Holy Spirit indwells you, and you ought to be thankful for it and grateful for it and say, praise the Lord, I've got the Holy Spirit here. I'm going to just let Him do what He wants to do in my life. And that fruit's just going to happen. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we renew our mind? We renew our mind because of the light and the illumination, the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. As we read the second part of renewing our minds, the gift that God's given to us, is perfect, inspired, preserved Word. You want to renew your minds? There it is. In Philippians 2, and I understand that Paul was speaking specifically of a particular area of Christ's mind. He's speaking of the issue of humility. But he does make the statement, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. He goes on to talk about the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. For being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, and made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He's speaking of humility, but, but the, the gist of what Paul's getting at is the things that, that moved the mind of Christ ought to be the things that move our minds. How do we know what the mind of Christ is? He's revealed an awful lot of it right here. An awful lot of it. Psalm 119, verse number 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? With my whole heart. Don't miss this verse. Have I sought thee? Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. The only way I keep from wandering from God's commandments is not only knowing them, but having them affect my heart that gives me a desire to do what I know to be true. My word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. I was talking to somebody this week about it. I said, a couple of times I dealt with, uh, the first of all, their walk with God. I said, that's, that's always the foundation stone. I said, if the walk with God is right, then there's only one other thing I can tell you to do. And it works 100% of the time. And that is this, saturate yourself with God's Word. Get up in the morning and begin reading. I know you've got to go to work. 
But on the way to work, turn the radio on, some Christian music or some Scripture reading or somebody preaching good, good, solid doctrine. When you get off on your lunch break, spend some time praying, asking the Lord as you're, as you're eating your lunch. I, I told him, I said, read one, read one psalm a day at least. I said, pick a verse and have a verse of the week or a verse of the month that you want to memorize and, and commit it to memory. Constantly be pouring Scripture into your mind and into your head. That will renew your mind pretty quick. I remember, I remember years ago when I was studying to do my written test for uh, my pilot's license. And I was talking to a number of instructors and they had all been through it and they knew what I was going through and they kind of chuckled and they said, yeah, it's kind of like drinking water out of a fire hydrant, isn't it? Because it's like there's so much and... You're only getting little bits of it here and there, it seems like, and the rest of it's flying past you, and you're not really getting it all. Can I tell you this? When it comes to our Christian life and renewing of our minds, we ought to have a fire hydrant of God's Word coming at us. And we ought to be drinking as much of it as we can. You say, well, Pastor, a lot of it's going right past me. Drink all that you can take. And I love using this phrase, saturate yourself with God's Word. Why? Because it's God's will that we not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. He says we do those two things that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We prove the characteristics of that of that will. It's a good will. It's acceptable. And it's perfect. And that's God's will. Not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So a number of things we've given you tonight, several subjects. Went through a number of them. It's God's will for us to walk, walk, not just see, but walk circumspectly. To wake from the sleep, rise from the dead, and let God give us light. That's God's will. And we found that it's God's will for us to not be conformed to this world but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And folks, we could go, literally, we could probably go a year or two or three. We could probably go till the time God comes back again, finding things in this book that God makes very evident and very clear, this is my will. This is what I want for you. And knowing God's will is not a hard thing. It's found all through Scripture. Uh, I remember a number of years ago, I went out. I, I'm not a fisherman. I, I love fishing, but I'm not good at it. <clears throat> and I, uh, if you ever want to go and not catch anything, invite me along. I uh, went in Florida. I wanted to catch some snook in snook season. And I went out and paid the extra money, bought my snook tag in snook season. And I mean, I was going to get me some snook. I, I went out where the where the place was where where this. These snook were guaranteed. I had fishermen take me out. I'll take you out, uh, Brother Greg, and we'll go out on the boat. And I promise you, I've never gone here and not come back with a, with my limit on snook. I know right where the places are. I've gone out with them on their boats, and we were out there half the night till four, three, four in the morning, and not caught one. They didn't even get a bite. And they were, I don't know what's happening. I said, I do. I'm here. That's the problem. I don't I don't catch a lot of fish. I went to go catch my snook that year, and I'm on a pier underneath a bridge. 
And there's probably 40 people along this, this catwalk. And I have a little green rubber worm. And I'm casting it and I'm letting it sit and I'm reeling it slow and working it and then bringing it in a little slow. And, and I do that for an hour. Didn't even get... <coughs> didn't even get a bite. Didn't even get a bite. I was sitting here thinking, this is, this is ridiculous. And I got people... 15 feet either side of me, they're pulling them up. Finally, a, a lady, woman, a young lady, a few years older than me probably, comes walking down the pier toward me. She doesn't even look like she's ever fished before in her life. She's got one fishing pole, one hook, one, one worm on the end of it, and a bucket. She comes down there and she said, you mind if I fish here? It's about, I don't know, from me to the piano, maybe, away. I said, no, that's fine. There's plenty, plenty of room. There's, you know. She throws her pole in, and I'm not kidding, the first cast she had one. She pulled that thing in. It wasn't quite a keeper. It was a big size one. She threw it back. She said, oh, that wasn't a keeper. We threw it out again. And it wasn't two minutes later she had another one. On her third one, about six minutes into it, I looked over at her and I said, what are you using for bait? And she said, nothing but this little worm right here. And it was the same exact one I was using. And I used that illustration to say this. I think some of us feel... Like knowing God's will is like me trying to catch that snook. I'm never going to do it. It's too hard. When really what we need to do is be like this lady over here and say, I expect every time I throw it in, I'm going to pull one up. Every time I come to God's Word, I want to know His will. And He wants me to know it. And if we ask Him to help us understand it and to see it and to give us light, He'll make it apparent to us. Because He desires for us to know it as much as we want to know it. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're thankful so much for Your Word. How it blesses our heart. How it encourages us. And Lord, I love the fact that it teaches us. Things that, were it not for this blessed book, we would...